Well, all right. Take your Bibles out this morning and open them up to Ephesians chapter 6. That's one of the passages that we're going to be at today. Um, and as you do so, I'll give you a little bit of information of something we're going to do. It's just slightly different, but just in case you want to know. In your bulletin, uh, there's all the, the sermon notes. Well, there's going to be a lot of other things listed there I'm not even going to touch on, but it's there because it really helps to support the message in its entirety. And a number of y'all have made mention in these past weeks and months that you really look at what's in here, and some of you guys are using it as a quiet time or a Bible study, probably others, uh, a pillow. But uh, I, what I want to do is I just want to put a little bit more Scripture support in there that could uh, maybe enrich the time if you so desire but uh, if you're wondering well why isn't he covering all of this well that's now you know so let's pray father we just want to come before you this morning and god we want to thank you uh for all the things that you're doing and god we just really want to ask that you would help us today that when we leave that we're going to have a really big understanding a greater understanding of what takes place when we pray, uh, God, it's a big, big thing. And uh, most of us, we never even think about it, but it's real. And I pray, God, that you would continue to minister to us. And I pray, God, that you would continue to answer the prayers of uh, your people. Because, God, you want to answer us. You want to talk to us. And I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to be obedient and faithful in wanting to seek you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, Yogi Berra, uh, the, the great baseball catcher, was in a crouched position. Uh, the game was tied, and it was very, very tense. Um, up came the opposing player. He came up to bat, and when he did, uh, the, this player, he was a Roman Catholic, just like Yogi. And he took his bat and he made a cross on the dirt that was on top of the plate. And when he did that, Yogi Berra, he leaned forward and he wiped the cross away. And he looked at the batter and he said, why don't we just let God watch this game? <laughs> now, that's a true story. That's a pretty good story. Uh, but that's okay if it's baseball. Um, God wants to be involved in every part of our lives, not just the game. We should never attempt to ever want to put God on the shelf where he is now a spectator. We want him involved in our lives, in the game of our lives. Amen? Amen. Uh, today, we're going to look at the second message in this series, your prayer position. Um, today's message has to do with an aspect of prayer that you never ever hear uh, too much about. The Bible speaks on the subject that we're going to talk about in great detail too, but I would venture to say that the majority of all people, and probably safer to say more than half of all believers, um, are ignorant of this subject, they're just not informed, or they don't even believe it themselves. And I'm still even referring to the Christian community. Um, it's, uh, they'll live their lives as if this subject doesn't even exist. It's called spiritual warfare, and it's real. And that's what we're going to look at today, because we're going to see how spiritual warfare plays a part of your praying activity when you talk to the Lord. Um, it's important to remember, too, that as we look at this subject and we look at exactly what does the Bible have to say about this subject of spiritual warfare, we need to remember that personal opinions are subjective, but the Word of God is 100%, 100% of the time. Amen? Amen. Now, we know this, but it's important to remember that because if you were to bring this subject up with people as a means of just a conversation, uh, uh, whatever, um, you're going to get a lot of various differing opinions. And yet these are people who read the same Bible you do, but clearly they don't, they don't read all of it. This is real stuff. 
and it's important stuff. So before we dive into the subject of spiritual warfare, I want you to uh, I want to paint a picture for you and trying to help you to understand the way a lot of people see this, and then we'll get right into it. Modern man is in much the same plight as the 17th century man. In 1665, London was in the grip of the Great Plague. People were dying by the thousands, faster than they could even be buried. Corpses were stacked like cordwood outside of homes, and they were carted off to hastily dug pits on the outskirt of the city. All business came to a stop. Court disbanded, and people were fleeing London, and unknowing to them, they were taking the disease with them. Nobody knew the cause of the plague. The most common notion was that the air was causing it. So people literally sealed up their homes to keep the contaminated air outside. They even burned noxious material in their fireplaces to help drive out the deadly air. They buried their noses in flowers, and out of ignorance, they disregarded the most basic rules of sanitation and hygiene. Open sewers ran down the streets. Rats and vermin multiplied, and their fleas spread the plague. But people were unable to see any link whatsoever between the unsanitary conditions and the spread of the plague. Now, if we were to go back to 1665 and say that the plague was spread by bacteria, the people would not pay attention to a single word that you would say. Not a word. They wouldn't believe that there could be germs so small that they could not be seen with the naked eye or that even millions of germs could be found in one drop of ditch water. They wouldn't believe it. They wouldn't believe it. People knew nothing about germs or viruses. They would have laughed scornfully at anyone who tried to explain the real source of their troubles. And since germs could not be seen, could not be smelled, could not be touched, heard, or tasted, no one suspected that they could have caused the plague. Likewise, most people today do not believe in evil spirits. They don't. Some may be interested in the occult, uh, fascinated with ghosts and witches, but they scorn at the idea that Satan has organized and he has launched a diabolical plot against the, hu <coughs> against the human race. They'll scoff at the idea that evil spirits, ruthless in their hatred of mankind, are dedicated to keeping people in bondage and in sin and in shame. That's what their goal is. And that's what they do 24 hours a day. Why can we not halt the drug trades that are destroying millions of lives today? Why is it so hard to pass stiffer laws against drunk driving? Why has sodomy become acceptable? Why has pornography become such big business? Why can we not stamp out child abuse and the legalized slaughter of the unborn in abortion clinics? And unless you've had your head in the sand, just last week in New York, they passed the resolution that a baby could be murdered literally 10 seconds before the baby would be born. Why did the horrors of the Nazi camps, the Spanish Inquisition, and the Gulag take place? There is a spiritual warfare going on behind the scenes. We come together for support and for encouragement and to strengthen one another. We come to church. Some of us, many a times, are going through really difficult stuff. Other times, uh, we're not. And life moves on. It's good. Life moves on. It's bad. 
But there is another dimension that has taken place outside of what we can see and, and hear and smell and, and taste and touch. And it's real. It's real. Uh, the Bible gives a clear, a very clear answer on this subject. The human race today is being manipulated by vast numbers of evil spirits, and they have great power. Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 6. Look with me uh, there in this passage. In Ephesians chapter 6, in verses 10 through 13, the Bible says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Now, the rest of this passage here in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul breaks down the things that we need to have if we're going to overcome this attack. And we're not going to talk about that because that's not the the essence of the message today, that's a message for another day. What, we want, what I want us to look at today, I want us to look at what's going on behind the scenes when you pray. When you're talking to Jesus, when you're talking to God, I want you to notice what is taking place. Now, it's a very limited view from where we're at, but the Bible does give us a lot of understanding of what has taken place. And the reason why I wanted this to be in our second series, second part of this series on prayer, is because I really want you to see just how much of a role you play in your future. I want you to see just how much of a role that you play in getting God's attention to come in accordance to the times when you're praying to Him or you're trying to seek Him or you're really trying to get His attention, I want you to see exactly from God's viewpoint what He is doing, what is going on. Because there are times you're really looking for an answer. There's other times you're praying, but it's not really a big deal if it happens. You want it to, but you know it's not a big deal. When it's really a big deal, and you really need to get a hold of God's attention. You really want to know that you have it. Amen? Amen. So I think it's a pretty good idea for us to see mechanically what is going on in the spiritual realm of what has taken place during this time. What we need to see is that there are demonic forces on many levels, and their job is to destroy you, to mislead you, to harm you, to cause you to wander off and away from Christ. Their goal is to attack your faith, to sidetrack you, to get you busy, to do all in their power to make certain that you will give up on God and try to take matters into your own hands. And they will use all means necessary. I started working on this about a week ago, and on Monday of this week, it was one of those days, why did we even get out of bed if you're at the low house? It's exactly what it was. That afternoon, I got a phone call, and Cammie had her first run in with a tree, and she's fine, but uh, because there's no shoulder on the road and an incident that took place, um, she's fine, but all that time spent with the adjuster, the insurance, the police, the firemen, and uh, everything else going on, I was reminded, well, I was, it paled in comparison, she's fine, that's all you care about, but when the car's totaled and you're working on all this other stuff, wow, 
as I'm dealing with that, a really close friend, kind of like a family member to us, calls me and asks me to pray for him and his business. Has a really good business. And they do really, really good for a lot of people. And now their business is under severe attack. And that happened as I'm standing at the road looking at this circus taking place in the car. I no more am driving home and my phone blows up and it's someone else I'm very close to and they have a crisis in their family. And um, they were asking for prayer. And it was a big deal with the members of their family. And I remember while all this is going on, I'm thinking, it never dawned on me until I got home and I sat down and I'm on hold for that two-hour wait to get a real person on a telephone. And I'm sitting there, my mind's you know, running, and I got to thinking about this thing on spiritual warfare. And I'm thinking, man, maybe I shouldn't preach on spiritual warfare anymore. <laughs> you know, life was really easy when you don't talk about it. But my point is simply, it's real, and things happen, and, uh, and it, it'll escalate. And it, the, the, the end result is to get you to lose focus of what is really going on and what you need to do to be steadfast in that faith and to be ready for what God is going to do. Um, and that's the only way uh, to look at this kind of stuff. We do not, we do not need to look in outer space um, to see if we have been invaded by extraterrestrial beings. The Bible makes it very clear that we have already been invaded. And this invasion includes the forces that serve Satan and they do his bidding. In today's world, and maybe even here in our own church, uh, there are people who do not know this or they refuse to believe it uh, when told or when it's discussed. They do not realize that apart from Christ, there is no hope. There is no hope. You're on your own. You're fighting against that on your power, on your abilities. Without Christ, there is no hope. Now, in this passage in Ephesians, there's just there's four different and distinct categories of what we're up against. Uh, and we see this. He talks about principalities. That's one group. He talks about the powers. That's another distinct group. He calls the third uh, group the rulers of this world's darkness. And then a fourth group that he names, calls out, he describes them as wicked spirits in high places, in high places. The struggle is not against flesh and blood. I'm going to say it again. The struggle, it is not against what we can see. It's not against what we can manage. That is not our struggle. But that's what we see, isn't it? That's what we see. We see the people that cause the harm. We see the people that bring about the dissension. We see the people that are creating havoc. Paul says, the Word of God says, our battle is not against them. Now, they may be the mouthpieces of the situation of conflict that's taken place, but what is moving them to do the things that they do? It is not against flesh and blood. As long as people uh, are seen as the source of the problem and we wrestle with them, we're going to spend our strength in vain. This is an occult battle. And every single one of us in this room, we're all up against it. Every single one of us. You know, there are untold numbers. There's millions, if not billions, of these hosts that reside, <clears throat> that reside in the unseen world. Have you thought about it? You know, the Bible talks about angels. 
talks about how many angels. You can't even put a number on angels. That tells me that's a lot of angels. You cannot number the angels, but that's a lot of angels. They're in heaven, and they carry out the workings that the Lord has set forth for them. And the ones that have fallen, they are referred to as demons. The Bible makes it clear that when Satan was kicked out of heaven, and when I say kicked out of heaven, I say that as in terms of his ability to do what he was doing before he was uh, uh, kicked out, banished. The Bible says that he took a third of the angels with him. So those demons right now are with him, and they're doing his bidding. Now, when we read in Job, we read an interesting story when the Bible says the angels presented themselves before God, and they were there. And then the Bible says in chapter 1 of Job, and Satan was there too. Now, that opens up a whole lot of, now, wait a minute, what? I thought he was kicked out of heaven. He was. But for the... Uh, before our adversary still having access to uh, put himself in a place to where there is still dialogue between him and the Lord seems to be taking place. What does the Bible say in Revelation? He is constantly accusing you and he's constantly accusing me day and night before the Lord. Don't ask me to explain it because I can't. I just believe it. I don't know how all that works, but I believe it. Now, one day, he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire. In fact, he's going to be the first one thrown into the lake of fire. But that day has not happened yet. And right now, his only goal is to do everything he can to hurt God. And by hurting God, uh, there's only one way in which he can do that. And that is by hurting you. That is by hurting you. You've heard parents say all the time, we hear it, and it's true. You can do whatever you want with me, but don't hurt my kids. Don't hurt my kids. You're not going to lay a finger on my kids. Well, the same thing goes with God. The, only, the greatest way in which our adversary can get back at God is by hurting us. And he knows his time is limited. And that's why the Bible says, uh, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It's not as a lion taking a nap, seeking whom he may devour. As a roaring lion, he, he has an agenda. And that agenda is you and me. Now, while he can only be at one place at one time, uh, because he's not omniscient, uh, uh, omniscient uh, omnipotent, uh, omnipresent. He is none of those things as God is. His demons are. And those that carry out his bidding, they can do what he wants them to do. You're also going to notice that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, you see the same thing as what we just saw in Ephesians. Take a look at it. It'll be on the screen. It says this, For by him... All things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether, and there you go, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by Him and for Him. Now there you go. Turn your Bibles, if you will, now to Daniel, the book of Daniel. That's our second passage for today, this morning. Daniel chapter 10. Take a look at Daniel chapter 10. And as you're doing that, we're going to begin in verse 10, but I'll, I'll give you this, the setup for the verses 1 through 9 of that chapter. It's really interesting. Daniel, he's an older man at this point. And he's still uh, captive in Babylon. He is seeking for whatever reason. We're not sure what the reasons were. We can read between the lines. I mean, he's, he's a captive. But he's really been seeking God. He's trying to get a hold of God. He's really, really been praying to God. And God doesn't show up. God is not there. God is quiet. 
And here is this very strong prophet of God, and God's, he's not getting an answer from God. And so what you see, he's been earnestly seeking God, praying. In fact, he fasted. He was fasting. He even ratcheted up his prayer life to fasting so as to really get God's attention. And there's no word. There's nothing. But he keeps on doing it. And then one day, he's uh, standing by the Tigris River, and as he is standing there, God shows up. Now, what you see in this passage in verses 1 through 9, you see that as he is there and as he is trying to find God, get a word from God, because it was extremely important for him to hear from God, that the, what I'm going to call the pre-incarnate Christ shows up. You know, there's a lot of places in the Old Testament where Jesus shows up. You don't see the name. doesn't say Son of God. Jesus Christ doesn't say the, uh, the root and offspring of David. Doesn't All those titles we give Jesus. But the pre-incarnate Christ is there all the time in the Old Testament. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace? And Nebuchadnezzar saw not three, but four. And the fourth one looked like, according to him, the son of the gods walking in the fire. Now, that's a pretty good commercial timeout right there, if I may add. Wouldn't that have been cool to have seen that? I mean, think about that. Three real people in this huge blaze of Colosseum of fire. It was so hot, it even killed the guards that threw the three in. But the king stood up in terror and looking into that pit, he said, did we not cast in three, but yet there is four? And look at that fourth one. I don't know about you. That, to me, it makes me goosebumps. That's just so cool. And the book of Daniel. You see these pictures of Jesus showing up. And you see it right here in verses 1 through 9. Because it describes the Lord as the way that John described Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 that we went through a few months back. It says his body was like uh, a diamond. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet were like the gleam of polished bronze. And the sound of his words were like the sound of thunder. Daniel heard from God. And he heard from God in a really big way. And yet what was really interesting when this what we know is Jesus, but he was the pre-incarnate Jesus because Jesus had not come yet. Jesus was not born of woman yet. This is a long time before Jesus came to earth, but yet he came. And then when he came, the Bible says um, that Daniel uh, hit the ground. He just fell on the ground. And isn't that interesting? That's not the first time that's ever happened, too. Isaiah hit the ground when he saw the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Uh, Ezekiel hit the ground when the Lord showed up. You read about that in Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Saul of Tarsus hit that dusty road in Acts chapter 9, uh, verses uh, 3 through chapter 4, verse 9. Uh, John hit the ground when the Lord showed up to him when he was on the island of Patmos in Revelation chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. And here is Daniel, and he sees this figure. He describes him a little bit, but he was too busy hitting the ground. Why does that happen? Because no one, who can stand in the presence of God? Who can stand before him? No one. No one can stand before God. No one living. We are all tarnished with the sin that we inherited from Adam. But just as we see the pre-incarnate Christ step forth in verses 1 through 9, we see this theophany of Jesus. As soon as He shows up, right here, He leaves. He just, he's gone. And when He leaves, He sends a, an angel and an angel shows up. 
Now an angel is about to have a dialogue with Daniel. So before we look at that dialogue, just take a quick time out. I wonder what was the purpose of the vision, the theophany, the, um, the, the form of who Jesus is, but like I said, Jesus hadn't come yet. What was the purpose of Jesus showing up there in the first place? Well, for three weeks, he had been praying, looking for God, because it was extremely critical that Daniel got a word, and he had nothing. As time goes on, you get more desperate. Your faith is more challenged. You're about ready to just give up and go. Remember, we talked about that last week. You never, ever, 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 ever give up when you're seeking God. Luke 18, verses 1 through 7. You don't do that. Three weeks. I believe very much that the reason why Daniel was allowed to have a vision, I mean, he saw, he saw the Lord because just the appearance alone was going to make the most impact of a change in his life than anything else that could happen. You remember the big stuff in life. You always remember. You remember where you were when it happens. And finally, God shows up. But then he leaves, and he sends an angel. And as he sends this angel, this is what we see, beginning in verse 10 of Daniel chapter 10. It says this, Daniel's talking. Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, he's talking about this angel. And he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, Understand the words that I am about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. Stop right there. What is the first thing that this messenger of God, this angel of God, who has now been sent to talk to Daniel, God just allowed Daniel to see his son. He couldn't see him much. He described his face, his eyes, his sound of his voice, and he hit the ground in worship. But now all of a sudden he is seeing this angel. What is the first thing that comes out of the mouth of this angel? He says, uh, O Daniel, man of high esteem. Daniel was known in heaven as a man great with God. You know what I like about that story the most? Daniel, when he was taken captive along with all of his people, he was a teenager. He was a teenager. And now he is one of the biggest prophets that we have in the Old Testament. And what does this angel say about Daniel? The first thing he says, what does he say? Oh, I know who you are, Daniel. I know who you are. You can be known in heaven. If you get your heart so right with God and your prayer life so going with God, you can be known. And it's just not the Lord. He gives open display with everyone up there who you are. But is that any different? When your son or daughter is doing something that is just the biggest wow factor, do you not tell everybody? If you're an unfit parent, then you don't. You're going to tell everyone. When Jaden won that spelling bee, you thought we just won the Super Bowl. I had a huge fat mouth when that happened. Social network, calling everyone home, telling friends and all this stuff. You, you are so glad, you're so excited when your children do things. You can be known in heaven. You can be known. What we are seeing taking place in this chapter is every single thing that Paul outlined in the book of Ephesians. It's like Ephesians is the book that is the written script. It tells us, it breaks down these four categories. And in Daniel, you see the actors picking up that script and acting out the scene. Here's the problem. Daniel was written 650 years before the book of Ephesians was written to the church of Ephesus. But they all go hand in hand, don't they? Oh, you bet. Because when you read this, it goes on. Look at uh, verse 2. 
I'm about to tell you, stand upright because I have been sent to you. God did answer. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up and I was trembling. Now we can kind of laugh at that a little bit, but you would be, if you could even get up, you would be too. Then he said to me, Daniel, do not be afraid. For from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were what? Heard. And I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings, that's plural, of Persia. Stop right there. What in the world does that mean? Well, we know it's an angel. We know that. And here he is talking to Daniel, who is not an angel. He is a person just like you and me. But he shows up. God allows him to literally manifests himself in such a way Daniel's looking at this messenger and he's having this conversation. Well, he's mostly just listening. And this angel is telling Daniel, from the first time you set your sight on understanding, what does that mean? Daniel, God is aware of all the problems that's going on with you and you're trying to make sense of it. And then he says, and when your prayers were were mentioned, they were heard, I have been sent in accordance to what you want to see done in your life. But I was withstood in getting to you because of the kings of Persia. That is one of those four categories of the demonic realm. There are those in the demonic realm, it's just like it is in the spiritual realm, uh, the heavenly realm with angels. You'll have your lowly privates and you'll have your five-star generals. It's the hierarchy. It's ranks that you see in these forces, in these unseen, untold, who knows what the number is, of angels and demons. And they do battle all the time. That's the reason for the, the uh, message today, the title of the message. This means war, because that's what's going on. And here is this messenger telling Daniel, I would have been here sooner if I wasn't opposed by the kings of Persia. Well, these weren't physical kings because no man can stop an angel. That's a title. That title designated responsibility and position that these demons held. And it was big. It wasn't a lowly private demon that try to keep this angel from getting to Daniel to deliver a message that God had given this angel. We're talking the big wig. The big, the, the big ones. We're talking about the three stars. Generals of the satanic world. And then what did he say? Well, that was until Michael showed up. And now here I am. You have heard me say this for many years, but when you look at angels in the Bible, and they all have different jobs, every time you see Michael... He is kicking tail. He ain't taking names. He's taking care of business. And he fights for God. And Michael shows up. And all of a sudden, this angel is free to move on. Now that opens up a lot of other questions. Could not have God just given an answer and just done what God does for Daniel? Absolutely. But why did he choose an angel in this instance to deliver the message i don't know but why does he use you or me angels just like people god has a plan god has a plan he has created we saw that in colossians chapter one he has created everything that there is and he's using it for his plan for his plan we are here to try to understand. Here is Daniel. He is praying. It's been three weeks. It's nothing. He's bankrupt. And all of a sudden, this huge wow factor happens in his life one day. And then he gets to actually have a conversation. And some of these things, some of these things start to make a little bit of sense. If you go down to the very end 
of this chapter. It says this, look at verse 19. It says, and he said, O man of high esteem, he's talking to Daniel, do not be afraid, peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you understand why I came to you now? What was Daniel wanting? He was wanting a word from God. Do you think he got it? <laughs> yeah. And then some, right? And then some. And he says, and then the angel says this. Now, this is so neat. I know this is a guy thing, but I'm putting it out there. It's just too cool. Look at what he says, this angel. But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I am going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. Isn't that neat? You have a prince. The nation of Israel has a commander in the spiritual realm, so to speak. It's Michael. And guess what? The moment when you gave your life to Christ, that prince became your prince too. When you are a child of God, you belong to God. You're His. You're His child. And so we actually see forth here that angels are given positions, territories and stuff? Absolutely. We saw the princes of Persia, the prince of Greece, or the king of Greece was coming. Now let's fast forward that 2,600 years later to right now. To right now. If this be true, and it is, then what does that say about our nation? There are demonic and angelic forces fighting in the spiritual realms over America, over Africa, over China, everywhere, everywhere. We see them over continents, we see them over countries, we see them over cities. Whether it be Dallas or it be Rendon, there's spiritual battle taken on, going on, taking place. It's a big deal. But we also see God using the angelic realm to do battle as well. What takes place when you pray? Action. That's what takes place. Do you all remember? It's been some years ago. Now, remember Frank Peretti? Uh, he's the author. He wrote the book, This Present Darkness. It was like the biggest wow thing that hit you know, at that time, like ever. And the whole book, and then he had a follow-up book, uh, Piercing the Darkness, if you remember that. Do you know the whole book? Oh, they were so good. Um, they were fictional books, tongue-in-cheek. The whole premise of the books is these battles taking place because of the person, the main character, a, a person person that's praying, asking, he was a pastor. But what you see is all the behind-the-scenes stuff taking place of the angelic realm, and they were fighting. Oh, it was such a good book. It was number one for an eternity. I know, because I worked at a Christian bookstore at the time, and we couldn't keep it in stock. All this right here. That's what this is right here. So, what do we learn from this passage right here. Daniel's encounter reveals three things. This is important. Number one, our principles are known by God. Daniel chapter 10, verse 11. The angel recognized Daniel as a man who was what? Highly esteemed. What principles are known about you today? right now what are you known for right now when other people look at your life what can be said about you are you a person of high esteem are you a great christian when you're at church but when you're gone you would never even know it what is known about you what is known about your character your mouth 
the way you treat others. Those are principles. What principles are known about you? Daniel's, oh man, a great high esteem. What do the angels of God know about you? What do they know about me? What do you want them to know? Our life, our principles are known by God. Point number two, our prayers are heard by God. Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. Now, did you catch that? No delay occurred between the spiritual exercise of Daniel and the response of God. The very moment that he began to pray, he was heard. Oh, Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand upright, for I have been sent to you. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come as a result of your words. We also learn from this chapter that hostile forces are at work in the universe to oppose all that is of God. Nothing about this particular delay was arbitrary. Nothing. The, the sight of this aged seer, this prophet of God, diligently seeking answers to the perplexities that overwhelmed him brought an immediate response from God. God is delighted when His children set their hearts on seeking Him. And then third, our power is given by God. Is given by God. And you see that in verse 18. The power to overcome is always and only going to be achieved by when you pray. By when you pray. Uh, Peter Deneka once said, you'll see this on the screen, he, uh, screen, he said, No prayer, no power. Little prayer, little power. Much prayer, what? Much power. The only threat that you pose to Satan and his demonic host is when you're on your knees. But it is a real threat. It's a real threat. When you become a child of the king, you pose a real genuine threat to the authority that he wants to exercise over you and over me. William Cowper said, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. And how true that is. What is it going to take to make you a person of prayer. What is it going to take to elevate your game right now, spiritually speaking, up a notch or two in your relationship with God and how you talk with God? We see but a really small picture here today of what is going on behind the scenes. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. I mean, there's a lot of knuckle-headed people out there we have to deal with all the time. But ultimately, it's what's going on even behind those knuckleheads. That's the real problem. Is it not? Absolutely. You know, um, I said this last week. I'll say it again. I didn't put it in the notes. Um, a prerequisite to have your prayers answered. Number one, you need to turn from sin. Psalms 66 verse 18 is just one of those turn from sin you'll see this up on the screen too seek wisdom and understanding james chapter 1 verse 5 says that and yet what did this uh, angel say in daniel chapter 10 for the minute you turned your heart to what understanding and what humbling yourself remember we talked about that last week and then the third part, a prerequisite for answered prayer is that word again, humble. Humble yourself. James 4, 7 through 10. Those are, sounds like a quick, easy uh, fix to real serious problems. Well, it is. 
But how many of us are doing that? Diligently seeking Him. This week, my encouragement for the church, for all of you, is that you will take up the position of praying to God for your family, for yourself, and for the church, and for this country. And do not stop until you have stirred the Lord to action. And in 2 Corinthians 7, 14, the Bible reminds us of a truth that we need to be reminded of here this morning. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you this morning. And God, we just want to pray and we just want to have an encounter, Lord, with you. Lord, we just want to ask that today that you would remind us of the importance that you place on this thing that we call prayer. God, I know there are many here today who really take prayer seriously. I know, God, that the majority could probably stand to be reminded of the importance that they need to pray more, me included. Father, I just ask that today you would help us to see our prayers make a difference. God, I know it's so easy to give up when we're praying and nothing seems to happen. And it's just discouraging. But Father, I know that you, that you are listening Lord, the most important thing to me is not always getting that yes, but it's knowing that you're listening. I want to know, God, that you're hearing me. Lord, you have told us in your word, we do not have because we do not ask. And Lord, if we're asking with the right heart in a position of humility and our lives are walking, it's matching our talk. It's matching the words that come out of our mouth. God, you're going to bless and so, Father, I pray this morning for those here today that are going through really difficult times, Lord, remind them to talk to You. I pray, God, that You would give us uh, strength and just encouragement and not giving up pursuing You. Lord, I ask that today that You would help us remember it's a battle. And when we're not praying, God, we're losing that battle. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us to be victorious in this area in our lives. God, praying is just talking to you. And it's just using the words that we are accustomed to using and getting your attention. That's all it is. I don't have to pray like anyone else. I just need to talk to you. And God, that's how you want it with all of us. So, Father, I pray today, God, help us to be people that's more people sold out on praying to you. And God, we just want to ask that you will just take charge of our future. God, that you would bless all that is going on here and at home. Lord, those who are here today that really need that touch, I pray, God, that you would move. But first, I pray, God, you would move them to seek you and the answers that they're looking for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.